You're listening to Kidding Ourselves. I'm Emily. And I'm Brian. This show is about our journey to parenthood through adoption. Welcome back. We are here this episode in someone else's living room. On location. On location where? In Josh and Allison's house. (laughs) Two of our good friends, Josh and Allison, we are going to interview them today on this episode to hear about their experience with adoption. They recently completed that process, and uh, it looks a lot different than ours. So, Josh and Allison, why don't you say a little something about yourselves? (laughs) Uh, hi, I'm Josh. Uh, I am six feet tall. I uh, never had a Tinder profile or anything because I'm too old. Oh Alice and I fell in love the old-fashioned way by meeting on MySpace. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we did. We, well, we didn't meet on my. We didn't meet on MySpace, but technically, um, we met through a friend. But. Yeah, I'm Allison. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, what about us? I, I don't know. We're boring, regular people. We're boring, regular. too. <laughs> <laughs> but we're friends with Brian and Emily. That's not boring. Nope. Um, but you guys, I mean, we met you probably four years ago now. Playing trivia. Oh, yeah. Oh, is that, is that how we met? Wasn't well, it? I think we met before that, but okay. we definitely... That's what solidified the friendship. Yeah, we became trivia buddies. We had a killer trivia team to everybody listening. We would win basically every week. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and we probably hurt some feelings because we like wouldn't let new people join our team. That's true. <laughs> that was always harsh, but it was you. You can't have too many people on a trivia team. Yeah, because like we basically got one beer a person after Off we would the win. winnings. <laughs> yeah. So we wouldn't even get a full beer if like we invited one more person. It's just you know it, it was perfect. Basically, we're greedy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's dollars and cents, y'all. Dollars and cents. <laughs> That's what it's all about. Yep. Okay, so today, though, we wanted to interview you guys about your story and your adoption because you guys did a different route. You went the international route, and um, we really haven't talked about that at all yet. So um, just want to hear a little bit from you about that. But um, first of all, what or when did you decide that you wanted to adopt? Like where in your marriage or lives as individuals did you decide that? Yeah, this probably goes back to how we even met and more of our story so we I've always wanted to adopt that's always kind of been my plan a and um when we first met through a friend but then definitely like checked each other out on myspace before meeting in real life uh, <laughs> um yeah we met and kind of started dating and very 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 early on I remember just laying it out there like by the way I want to adopt, and if you don't, then we probably shouldn't even keep dating. And I was like, cool, me too. Yeah. <laughs> Did you Had you already thought about that, Josh? Uh, yeah, I think. I don't know. It's always kind of been in my head. Uh, my dad uh, is actually not my biological dad. He adopted me when I was two. Um, so, yeah, it's always just kind of been part of my life in the idea that I'm not his biologically. Uh, he's always just kind of been there and it's like I just remember it sometimes like oh yeah I'm not your blood um and so just the idea of adopting is like oh yeah that doesn't have any impact on anything yeah uh, biological part 
and I have family members who are adopted too. And so I think it was, it was normal for us. It was like a normal part of life. And so, um, yeah, so we both had always kind of planned on that and throughout, I mean, we were, we got married in 2007 um question mark I was like uh, yes 2007 I was gonna try to do the math real quick and be like 4x amount nope which was 2007 um we feel like I lost count but yeah so we also had been open you know once we started dating and after we got married we were we I don't know why we planned on international we just always that was kind of always the thought process too was international and then we were always open to older child adoption too. So as we we got married, we actually worked together for a long time. We traveled a lot and never felt a lot of pressure to like have kids right away because we kept thinking, well, the longer we push it back, the older a kid we adopt. <laughs> I mean, I think it's important uh, to say that like when we were working together, we were working at a refugee resettlement. And so we were working with people from all over the world. So the things that maybe normal, <laughs> that normal people get a little scared of, like not speaking the same language yeah. as your child, was just like a normal part of life for us. Um, but yeah, I guess teaching them a language or like not letting, <laughs> uh, you know, being able to take care of a child that we don't speak the same language with wasn't. Wasn't a concern. Yeah, it wasn't a concern. Yeah, so the, it kind of international had always been the plan. And then as we, the longer we worked in refugee resettlement, you know, we worked with kids who'd had experienced trauma and uh, kids who didn't speak English. And we got to know people from a lot of different countries where there are international adoptions taking place. So it just solidified it more and more. Again, a lot of those things that might seem scary to us were just part of our everyday lives. Um so yeah, so that had kind of always been the plan. And then we um, quit working at Catholic Charities at the Refugee Resettlement Agency. And we actually went and lived on a sailboat for a while. And then we lived in Haiti for a while um, and worked actually for an like orphan care and prevention program there and learned a lot of, more about international adoption, I think, and kind of the ins and outs and ethics of it. Uh, and then when we moved back to the states that's when we actually started pursuing the adoption process I remember that being really important to y'all and some of the first discussions that we had was like doing it ethically and and how even it seems like even with like agencies that you would think would Mm -hmm. do that or take care of that side of things for you that maybe that's not always the case yeah so you guys (laughs) did your own research and like made sure every step of the way was like ethical yeah that was very very important yeah, I, I feel like one of the ways that we were able to do that was, um, like, originally we kind of wanted to adopt from the Congo because um, we had a lot of close friends from there, um, and that program ended up getting shut down. And so when we were looking at um, at agencies, we were kind of, you know, one of the things we looked at was which agencies pulled out on their own and which ones were forced to, like, pull out because of, the government shutting it yeah, down. Yeah, so if an agency <clears throat> has had worked in, I mean, we grilled the agencies we talked to. I almost felt bad <laughs> asking, like, I mean, we grilled them. So if they um, had worked in a country where the adoptions ended up being closed down, we would ask them, like, 
what signs did you see that led you to apply? Like, when did you stop processing adoptions there versus other agencies and things like that? Um, just because we had seen, you know, living in Haiti and we had seen kind of the rougher side of there, there's just a lot of room for unethical practices um, from a lot of different sides. And we wanted to try to avoid that as much as possible. It's never foolproof, honestly. Uh, but I think if you do your your homework and your research, you pick a country um, to adopt from where, you know, that's not on the verge of being shut down. You know, adoptions aren't on the verge of being shut down and you pick a good agency that you have a really good foundation for doing things ethically. So when, um, I'm sorry, I just cut you off. When um, <laughs> you were looking at different countries and like learning about the ones that were shut down, is that because, are you saying like from the U.S. perspective, they were just like, we're not going to work with you anymore? Or those programs decided to shut down? It's usually the country themselves will kind of shut things down. So like Ethiopia was shut down um, after a while. They had a, a long-standing pretty long-standing adoption program and then yeah the Congo they froze adoptions and both of those scenarios the country themselves froze the adoptions um yeah but you can also look at like which countries are Hague certified um basically an international like certification that yeah, yeah that they're like they meet some best practices some minimal best practices too so there's definitely some things you can do to set yourself up better and we were really, we're really lucky because we did work in refugee resettlement. We have friends who speak the language. We have friends from Burundi, which is where our boys are from. Um, we had friends who were able to go visit while, you know, and were in country some of the time. Uh, so I think we, yeah, we had kind of that extra layer of <laughs> ethics isn't the word, but that extra layer of protection where we could kind of dig a little deeper too. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, that is kind of a nice segue into talking about the international adoption process. Um, all of our millions of listeners out there have heard all about <laughs> the domestic adoption process, um, but we haven't really gotten into talking about internationally. Mm -hmm. So uh, kind of walk us through a little bit of like what that looks like, um, you know, start to finish. Ooh, so much <laughs> paperwork. <laughs> So much paperwork. It was a lot of paperwork. And I hate paperwork. <laughs> I mean, no one likes it, but I think I'm I actually bad. kind of like it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I <laughs> am bad at it. Um, yeah. Oh, man. What was... What, so, I, I mean, the first thing you do is that. pick an, a country that you want to adopt from. So you picked a country, not an agency first. Yes. We picked a country first. Okay. Um, we wanted to adopt from somewhere where we had a connection that we would... Our kids could always maintain... Uh, yeah, a connection with the culture. So we went with Burundi. There's a good Burundian population here in Nashville, and we do have some friends from there. And then, um, yeah, then you pick an agency. And like I said, we grilled them. Um, we had these long interview processes, essentially. And we definitely, we actually, there was one agency that we could kind of tell was telling us everything we wanted to hear. Yeah. Um, like, oh yeah, you can definitely get siblings. And then another agency was like, well, we don't, we don't know. Mm -hmm. We haven't seen that to this point. You might not be able to get siblings because we wanted to. Yeah. Um, and so the fact that they told us that we might not be able to get to was actually in a way like, like a positive thing. Cause we, they weren't telling us what we wanted to hear. They were telling us truthfulness or the truth. But yeah, we, so you, 
pick an agency and then the paperwork trail starts. Um, you have to fill out a lot of agency applications. You have to fill out like all this in-country paperwork. You're basically preparing this giant packet for multiple people for the country you're adopting from. And they're, you know, they're in, in Burundi, it's the central authority. So you're preparing this packet of paperwork for them. You're preparing paperwork for uh, Homeland Security, for embassies in Nairobi. You're, I mean, there's all this paperwork. So you're creating this file that you send to Burundi, in our case. And basically, Burundi uses that file to match you with a child. So that took us a long time to put together. And then we sent- A lot of that was my fault. Yeah. <laughs> Josh, is, Josh was the complicated because one. Because I'm self-employed. Uh, I was actually adopted myself, so we had to go back to Georgia and get the paperwork from when my last name changed when I was two. Oh, wow. And then uh, I got arrested when I was 18 doing hood rat stuff. Um, <laughs> and they made me get paperwork- uh, showing that when I was arrested, it was expunged from my record. Uh, but when I went to the county where it happened, they wouldn't give me anything because they were like, expunged means it doesn't exist. Oh, wow. um, and so it so you, you needed a piece of paper saying that the thing that happened on a piece of paper didn't exist? Yes. Exactly. And they or, <laughs> so. so it was all this paperwork. We finally got that sent off, and then you wait to be matched. So then you're kind of in the official process to mm. be matched. And every country is different, I will say that. But um, – there are sim similarities. So we waited. Let's see. We submitted our paperwork in June. And then the next February is when we were matched, which is the weirdest, strangest thing to go through when you just, it was early in the morning. Uh, we're not morning people. And I just, my phone rings, we're laying in bed and there's this, I know it's the number for our agency. And so you kind of know what this is going to be about. Um, otherwise, they usually email and say, can we set up a call? So there's just this random call, and they're like, we have good news for you. And you don't know what's, you know, is it going to be one kid? Is it going to be two kids? Is it going to be, you know, we don't know gender. We don't know it, it ages. We were approved from zero to five and up to two children. So it could have been wow. any number of combinations. So, yeah. So we were matched with our boys, and then – Ooh, that is the roughest period is when you have faces and names and ages and you know they're like getting older and experiencing things and you just think about it all the time. But then you have to do a lot of immigration paperwork. So it's another round of it. And meanwhile, you're doing home studies and getting, you know, someone comes in your house and make sure you're a decent person and can adopt children. And um, <laughs> so that took, we were matched in February and we traveled to pick them up in end of November. So we were doing that paperwork chase for a while. And then we traveled to Burundi to meet the boys and bring them home. What was that like from knowing? Because, well, and you guys were lucky because you got to actually FaceTime with them mm -hmm. a couple times. Yeah. So we had a really good friend of ours who is just an angel. And she was in Burundi for a wedding. And so we got approval. We had to send this formal letter to the government and ask if she could meet the boys. And she was able to. So while, so she got, you know, updated pictures and videos and we sent, we sent videos of us and she was able to kind of talk to them and we were actually able to FaceTime with them, which was also a 
she we was, didn't expect it. It was like at four in the morning, Josh just woke up to go to the bathroom and my phone buzzed and he happened to hear it. Like Allison was still oh. sleeping and I just like hit her on the shoulder. It was like, your phone's buzzing. And we knew it was going to be pictures of the boys. Um, so we saw the pictures and then I was like, I texted my friend over, are you still there? And she just kind of casually was like, yeah, you want to, do you want a video chat? We're like, oh my gosh. I mean, I'm this waking up from dead sleep and like look crazy and I'm in my pajamas and I'm trying to. They're going to see me for the first time. And the, bo- the boys at this point, they already knew about they us. Knew, we, yeah. um, The agency asks us to uh, put together a book of all the family and friends and stuff mm-hmm. and send it to them and pictures of yourself just, you know, so that they can see. Um, and uh, when we finally FaceTimed with them, uh, I was wearing my glasses in the middle of the night. And so I wake up and they're like, what are you, what are those? Like, what, yeah. are, <laughs> what are you doing? But they knew he does, should have had glasses on. So yeah, so we um, we had been able to FaceTime them a little bit and and talk to them before we went to pick them up. But yeah, it's a crazy experience. Did you feel like you had met them then, or was were you still like feeling the anticipations of like this is going to be the real deal? Um, it definitely. I think it made the transition much easier having so. having done that uh, for us and for them. And we did get, you know, our the lawyer in Burundi would send us anytime he visited, he would send us new pictures and videos. But it, it, you have so little to go on, and every little thing you have, every photo you analyze and you try to determine what their personality is going to be like based <laughs> on these, you know, three second clips of a video. And again, we had our friend who had spent some time with them, so she was able to say, "Yeah, I think think you're on the right track with, you know." With your boys, or eat, and you can kind of figure. You figure definitely it out. come up with like their personalities. Yeah. Like in my head, uh, our younger one, he was just like mischievous, like kind of just, <laughs> I don't know. You can just see on his face, like he would have this like little smirk that was just like, oh, that's a troublemaker smirk right there. <laughs> I feel um, like I was right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I do feel like we. It, it definitely helped, but there's still nothing that prepares you for this moment where. You just turn a corner and there's your your kids who've had years of life and experiences and yeah, you have to get to know get to know them. Yeah, when we actually went to the orphanage, uh, they had prepared like a little song and dance show for us. Oh my gosh, uh, and it so, was so cute. All of the all of the other <laughs> Do you kids have a video? Oh yes. <laughs> all of the other kids came out first and they were like, you know, stomping and clapping and, and singing. And then suddenly like our boys walk out. And they both just have this look on their face like, oh, this is really scary. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but they can, they powered through and did their little song and dance, which now knowing them also makes a lot of sense. They are <laughs> performers. Um, yeah, but I will say that I, the Burundi program we've experienced has been really wonderful. And the orphanage the boys were from – um, was really, really great. They were well-prepared. They knew everything that was coming, that was going to happen. Um, so they kind of just jumped right in and were, which is, I don't think, always common. You know, you hear, I was trying to prepare for the worst. Like, maybe they'll be terrified of me. They may not want to go with us. Like, it may be really awful. But they were just like, sweet. Hi, Mama. Hi, Papa. Let's go. Like, they were. My, I knew that I should be preparing for the worst, but in my head I was like nah we're just 
we're a family. Like, if they're my kids, it'll be fine. Yeah. Which was pretty dumb to go into it. Like, <laughs> that's like not how you should go so into optimistic. it. So optimistic. You should probably prepare for the worst. Absolutely. But yeah, but it it worked out. It's just it's an odd experience for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, and then how long were you there, and what did you have to do after you met them, and yeah. <laughs> before you could actually bring them home? So we were in Burundi for a week about a week with them um and there wasn't we didn't have to do a lot in Burundi there we had to visit the central authority and um we kind of did some sightseeing here and there but we did get to spend a lot of time just Mm -hmm. with the with us but Burundi does not have a U.S. embassy that can process immigration visas and passports and things like that so we got their Burundian passports and then we flew to Kenya and we were there for a week which is where you do a lot of the heavy lifting around immigration so because they have a bigger U.S. embassy and that probably one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life was there you have to go to this medical appointment and they only allow one parent even if there's two kids. And so I went with them to this all day medical appointment for at the yeah the IOM office. And I'm hanging out at coffee shops drinking lattes. Yeah. And, <laughs> Having a great time. And I, do, I vividly remember that. Actually. It was Awful. On Instagram, yeah. it was just like Allison is is posting like, this is taking so long, and I bet Josh is just relaxing somewhere right now. And then the next story was Josh, and it was like a picture of a, a cup of coffee. Yeah. And he's like, I don't know what the big deal is. This medical thing isn't that isn't that bad. It's a lot of like standing in line, and I've got these two kids who you know I'm not used to them. They're not used to me. They're bouncing off the walls. Everything is very new to them. And when something's new to kids, you know they want to touch everything and jump on everything and oh gosh it was rough and then they had to get like blood drawn and do all this medical stuff and I was there what eight hours probably that day I don't know I was drinking lattes yeah I think but luckily (laughs) this sweet sweet angel I don't know what I would have done without Holly so we there was another adoptive family who had been in Burundi the same time as us so we had met our kids had kind of knew each other and then we we're in Kenya at the same time, and she had her medical appointment the same day too. And she, her son, was older as well, so we at least had could like tag team. So if one of them had to go to the bathroom, I could leave the other one with Holly. And I don't know what I would have done without. I would have just cried. But we did. We finished that up, and I was like, I can do anything. Bring it at me, <laughs> Superwoman. <laughs> it was so hard. I will say a word of advice to anybody that's possibly ending up in Kenya, adopting from somewhere. Um, stay close to the embassy because there's a mall right there with a ton of restaurants yeah. and you can just eat there every day. It is the easiest. Mm-hmm. It made it made our lives so much easier because yeah. we could walk there every day for, for food and yeah. uh, well, we there's were, a grocery store and everything. We were there for a week and then we had another real fun experience of flying for 38 hours. Oh, I thought you were going to tell the safari story. Oh, tell us oh, that. Oh, so <laughs> Josh... Again, it's just ever the sometimes you're just sometimes you're a realist, but you can be really overly optimistic about strange <laughs> things. And he was like, you know what we gotta do when we're in Kenya? Gotta go on a safari. And there is a national park in Nairobi where you can like see some zebras and giraffes, and that's what most normal people do because it's like twenty minute drive. No, Josh is like, we have to do a safari. We have to go to Masai Mara. You wanted to see lions and stuff. Yeah. Like we're in Kenya. We have to do this. So I the whole time I was like, no, you're out of your mind. We're not taking two kids who we know nothing about. They could be car sick even. She was (laughs) mad at me 
on the drive to the I safari. I mean, this is like a six-hour drive from Nairobi, an overnight stay. We stayed an extra weekend in Kenya to do this. The whole time, I was like, this is stupid. This is so stupid. This is the worst idea you've ever had. And then we're about an hour from the park. And a, I guess you call a bunch of giraffes a herd. I don't know. But this herd of giraffes. A squad. Squad. Squadron. Squad. A squadron of giraffes. Is that real? <laughs> no. <laughs> they cross the Maybe. street. It's like eight giraffes. And we all lose our minds. And immediately, I went from being like, this is the worst idea you've ever had to being like, this is the best idea you've ever had. Uh, yeah. It was incredible. So we did this. I mean, the boys were in the car for 13 hours that day. It, they did great. We all had the time of our lives. We did this. Yeah, we did a real safari. It was the coolest thing I've ever done. Well, and now you're you're prepared for like any road trip situation. Yes, we had, we like definitely tested their patience. <laughs> like, okay, we know you're a good road tripper. They're good little adventurers for sure. Um, but yeah, we did the safari, and then you have a lovely 38 hour plane ride home with four layovers. Not cool. Not cool. Uh, with two boys who aren't interested in screens. And, you know, you think ahead and you're like, I don't want to be that parent who, like, lets my kids watch too much TV. And then you're on a 38-hour plane ride and you're like, I just want you to watch TV, please. And they didn't. They were not interested in anything except Home Alone. They did, like, Home Alone. That was the only thing they would watch. Other than that, they just wanted to hit their finger on the screen really hard. Just, like, poke it as so hard as they could. So the, call the – they wanted to – bang the seat of the person in front of them and then call the flight attendant over every two seconds. And so <laughs> we got no sleep because the second we would fall asleep, the flight attendant would show up and be like, you called me. <laughs> I just went Again. to, there needs to be a childproof flight attendant button. Oh, our older one, uh, he's, he had a meltdown on the, on the plane because I like, I like grabbed his arm and wouldn't let him hit the uh, flight attendant button anymore. And so he was like crying, being loud and stuff. And the flight attendant comes over and he was like, um, do you guys do you guys need anything? And I was like, no, he's just mad that I won't let him hit your button. And the guy's like, oh yeah, no, don't you hit that button. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you you fly home and then you're you're here. <laughs> what do you think they liked about Home Alone? Oh, the, I mean the sh the scene that everyone likes where they puts his face on his hands and or his yeah his hands on his face and screams i think they just like any slapstick humor yeah, just just it, like people getting hurt yeah i mean they didn't speak any english so that i mean still that's what they like they love a good 90s slapstick kids movie that and like sports movies from the 90s yeah. like they've seen every single one i think mighty ducks big green all of those yeah classics that's great yeah, yeah. I, I was actually gonna ask um or i guess bring up the fact that your boys didn't speak any english mm -hmm. Um, and y'all, y'all learned a little bit of Burundi. Yeah. So, um, they, Kurundi, they, Sorry. no, it's fine. They, uh, we had, again, my sweet, sweet friend, Annunciata, she, uh, put together kind of a list of the things you have to know with children, like stop and wait mm -hmm. and no and yes. And we knew that. And then we also had her on speed dial for <laughs> if we needed to give her a call, which we did a couple of times. And other than that, yeah, they didn't know any English. But. The one time we had to call her uh, while we were in uh, in Kenya, um, our oldest started freaking out um, just out of nowhere. And like, we're like, we like thought I he was, thought he was going to get sick. He was crying. Yeah, we so thought hard. he was on the verge of puking. Um, and we call our friend and we're like, can you like just let us know what's wrong? And she talks to him and then starts laughing 
and apparently he passed we passed a bike on the road that he really wanted and he was <laughs> just torn up about the fact that he was not going to get that And here I am like bicycle. literally sitting in front of the toilet thinking he's going to get sick and he's like no I just wanted that bike. Just wanted that bike. Just don't well, know how to tell you how much I need that bike, mom. And they didn't know that bikes were waiting for them at home. I know exactly. we had bikes. Well, we didn't give them to him when they got home. We saved them for Christmas, Christmas. Right? Yeah. yeah. Torture. That's pure torture. <laughs> they got so much stuff. We were like we have to space all of the things out, you know. But that's a good strategy. For sure. As far as like then bringing them home and like um, trying to communicate. And I know you specifically mentioned at one point, like discipline is hard Mm -hmm. at first because you want to make sure they know what they're being disciplined for. And so how have you handled that and has it gotten easier? Definitely easier. Definitely. They do still pretend not to know what we're saying when they're getting disciplined. Like, Oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't know those words. And I'm like, come on. Guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They definitely know it now. Um, discipline is hard because, yes, you want them to understand what they're getting in trouble for. Um, and you can't, ex- you know, when you don't see the same language as someone and you're kind of used to that, you can get your point across of, no, you can't do that. You can't get the why across very easily, which to me, again, we worked in a professional setting with kids for a long time. And that's important to me. Um, and you just kind of can't. So you just have to either, a lot of it's safety. I mean, we definitely made them watch an episode or two of Rescue 911 because we couldn't <laughs> get, like, there were some things I was like, you can't do this because it's dangerous. And like, we well, have one of the things was they would keep running into the road yeah. and we would mm. yell at them. And eventually I just showed them a video. It was not super, super violent no, of somebody getting hit by a car mm. just so that like they a would safety video so that they would get <laughs> That's it. Smart. And they stopped running into the road. But so you do have to kind of get creative and like make. Yeah, you have to get creative uh, with it for sure. And still there's still some struggles where um, I think in particular trying to ex- right now we have a large friend group. We're like very social. Josh has a really big family. Um, that lives around here and then there's my family too and there's just they're meeting a lot of new people and it's it's been hard to be like okay these people are family these people are really close friends these are people you need to listen to Mm. these are like peripheral people that yeah that's been a little and on top of that teaching them stranger danger yeah they have like no stranger danger right now so because everyone they're around all the time yeah are friends yeah they're like everyone's safe and they meet new people and they're just like cool more new people we're best buds um we'll just be out in public and Brees will just go sit down next to somebody and just like <laughs> stare at them for a minute and then be like hi yeah they're very <laughs> like, friendly like come on man. so there's some things like that that are difficult but um again we are we rely a lot on our our friends who speak their language to explain difficult things we had to call her one time because they broke their bunk beds and she had to come over and <laughs> help us figure out who to even discipline or like what happened? I don't know that we ever got the full answer, but yeah. Well, that brings up a good point that like a lot of people want to maybe do, but don't know how to do. It's like inviting people into your community Mm -hmm. who like have either a similar background or like the ability to communicate at minimum, like with, you know, the kids in this situation. So I know that you guys have been really involved in, those communities like well before mm-hmm. adopting. So do you have any advice for people maybe wanting to find 
ways to engage with other communities. Yeah. Um, I do think it's very important if you have in your city or where you're from, if there is any access to communities that are part of your child's culture, definitely seek that out. Um, you know, we, again, we worked in refugee resettlement for a long time and that's a wonderful, wonderful community. And if there is a refugee resettlement agency in your town, Mm -hmm. seek it out, volunteer, uh, you know, it's a lot of people who've just moved to the States and want a friend and it's a great cultural exchange you can do. So hundred percent seek it out. Even if I would say, even if, if you're pursuing international adoption and maybe you don't have access to the exact same country your child is from, there's still a lot to learn from just interacting with other cultures, learning to in like learning to, it's almost like there's a language of not knowing how to speak the same language. You kind of get used to it. Um, so yeah, being comfortable with that language barrier. So yeah, I would say definitely get involved in refugee and immigrant communities as much as possible if you want to do international adoption. There's a lot to learn. So be willing to learn, (laughs) be willing to be humble and (laughs) learn all of those things. Well, and you guys also mentored Mm -hmm. a a girl who, is she? Yeah, she's, well, her mother's from Burundi and her father's from Tanzania. So it was a family we had actually, or her father's from the Congo and they lived in Tanzania. But we had known this family for a long time. So we, I just wanted to get, I I wanted to volunteer at the agency we used to work for um, since we're no longer a nonprofit. So that kind of just worked out that way, which has been, it was really great. So we, yeah, volunteer, get involved. And definitely have that kind of learning spirit and attitude. That's great advice. (laughs) For sure. Anything else to add? Any other wisdom or funny stories that you want to share? There's probably lots of funny stories. Wait, can we tell them about farping? Oh, yes. Okay. (laughs) This is – so there's lots of – I mean, every kid, even – if they speak English and are your biological child, they have funny little things that they say and don't say right. Uh, it's kind of amplified, I would say, when they're, you know, five, six years old and, and just now learning English. And our favorite one that our boys have right now is FARP instead of FART. Um, and they're two <laughs> boys, too. so they talk about it all the time. When, also- we, when, when we showed up tonight. Yes. They were talking about farping. Yeah. yeah, they were demonstrating what that might look like in your pants as well. <laughs> uh, it's the it's, and now we all say it. We say farping instead, um, because really, we don't want them to lose it. It's so cute. <laughs> and it really it really represents what a fart sounds like better. Yeah, we were, I think than yeah. a farp or yeah. than a fart. Yeah, yeah. Farp. It's more of an onomatopoeia. Farp. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good one. Yes. maybe a little too good (laughs) yeah there's lots of funny stories and you know I think we have had a great experience and it has been pretty seamless for us which isn't the case for everyone so also seek out I think my other bit of advice would be seek out as many adoptive families as you can from across the spectrum of adoption to get to know birth moms get to know um you know people who've done domestic adoption international adoption get to know all members of the triad having a lot of respect for every member of the triad I think is very important seek out adoptee voices that's been really helpful even just like who I follow on Instagram or watching YouTube videos uh you know knowing what our boys might think and feel one day uh and being okay with all of that we talked a little bit before but 
think normalizing a lot of that and normalizing all that comes along with adoption is important and just making sure it's important for me that our boys are comfortable with their questions and with all of their feelings that they might have about it. And they've definitely already had questions and, and things like that. Like, uh, the other day, um, one of them came up to us and basically asked when he was going to turn white. Um, Mm -hmm. and then he said that, you know, we're not family because we're white and they're black. So Mm -hmm. he and his brother are family. And then, the two of us are family, but they're not all, we're not all family. So I think it is important to like be around families that look like you mm-hmm. um, and that you can understand that it's normal and it's not, yeah. it's not a big deal. Like, yeah. It's fine. Well, I think it's a, I don't know that it's not a big deal. Like it is. It shouldn't be a big deal. Yeah. I mean, it just, again, trying to make things as normal as possible and trying to raise kids who are comfortable in their skin and comfortable um, speaking up for themselves and acknowledging their feelings and all of that. You know, we we changed churches before we brought the boys home because we didn't feel like there was enough diversity and we wanted to make sure that we went to a church um, that had black leadership. And so, again, I think just humbling yourself, being willing to learn, being willing to be okay with, like, questions and all of that is very important. I love that because they're so out of – the comfort Mm -hmm. zone that they were born into and then you guys are like we're also willing to step out of our comfort zones and um you know kind of like meet you there and like grow together and figure it out together and that's really important for sure yeah definitely um that could be a whole other podcast (laughs) is like (laughs) just the aspect of being a a mixed race family and Mm -hmm. what that looks like but there's a lot a lot to learn we still have a lot to learn in that aspect too I think but yeah another thing that I've heard from I guess it was another adoptive parent on a podcast I listened to um, she was just noting like the importance of everyone showing their kids diversity in books and movies and you know like if if there's a well I recently gave Brian's sister a book that had a black girl on the front and she was like the story was about her but it it was incorporating other you know girls in it and it was talking about like how she's enough and like just a really Mm -hmm. sweet book and and um Chelsea's having a girl soon and I just wanted to like give her something that was representative of like even though this doesn't look like what your daughter will look like Mm -hmm. that this is still valuable yes. and important for like everyone to read and to know yeah we have a as you guys know because you're a part of it we have a wonderful friend group who um values that but it is it feels really important to me so that when my boys go over to their friend's house that they see themselves reflected in the books on the shelf and in the shows the yeah. kids watch and that you know they're not everyone's only black friend is important is important that the families we surround ourselves with um value things like racial reconciliation and um yeah (laughs) dismantling systemic racism that all these things are very important to the people around us Mm -hmm. i think is is we're very lucky in that we have a friend group that that values that but i do think it's important so even if you're you know i people ask a lot of times like how can I help support adoptive families and like that's That's a a one way way. to support you know lots of lots of people in the world but yeah that's one way to support adoptive families is value those things too 
diversify your life. (laughs) Yeah. And I think like even beyond that, just being um, like checking your own biases Mm -hmm. and um, bringing those to light and like be okay with like bringing them up and like talking through Mm -hmm. them, working through them. I mean, that's something that we'll have to do. We're open to transracial adoption. So um, we don't know for sure if that will be our scenario, but um, that's something that I've been thinking a lot about and like look around you and like who is part of your circle and um, where where are your opportunities Mm -hmm. to like broaden your circle to include people who look different. And, and most people, could probably go their entire lives without ever stepping outside of mm-hmm. their, you know, what might be their natural circle or whatever. Yeah. But um, I think that's something that we're definitely thinking about a lot and going to be working on of, you know, however, however long it takes for us to end mm-hmm. up bringing a kid at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, I feel like I still have a long way to go and a lot to learn, but there are lots of resources out there. There are, there's lots of churches doing uh, racial reconciliation groups and there's lots of good Facebook groups out there that help people like me learn and grow and value the right things. You know, that it's not just a checklist that's not like make sure their hair is good all the time and like make sure, that, you know, these things are done so that I look mm-hmm. like I'm playing the right part. But how do I really raise two sons who are black and proud of it and are comfortable in their skin and their mm. family and their life so yeah. amen like i said yeah it could be a whole nother podcast <laughs> <laughs> well that actually sounds like a great place to let's leave everybody with that <laughs> <laughs> well big thanks to you guys yeah. uh for for letting us interview you and talking about your experiences so far yeah. um for everybody out there, we'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions about this episode or anything you'd like us to discuss in another episode, shoot us an email at kiddingourselvespodcast at gmail.com. Google, if you're listening, sponsor us. Uh, you can also get in touch with us on Instagram at kiddingourselvespodcast there as well. So until next time, if you'd like to help bring our kiddo home, head over to adopttogether.org slash kiddingourselves. Our theme music is by honoraries and volunteers featuring Brian Cox on drums. Deep.